America. Land of democracy, but great hypocrisy of hospitality and brutality. What if America had done the right thing? This era has been written. You know the story on Wage World. We talk to the most interesting people in the world. Today we're talking to old comrade and friend Gene Bruskin, who I knew as a labor organizer, but now he's a renaissance man of the arts. He's written another musical and is working on another one we're going to talk about, as well as other things. The musical that he put out a couple of years ago was called The Moment Is Now, and we want to hear all about it. Gene, welcome back to Wade's World. Thank you, Wade. It's really a pleasure to be with you. And uh, actually, it doesn't sound right, but the title is The Moment Was Now. And we we called it that to catch people's eye, partly because it's about 1869 during Reconstruction after the Civil War. But it's really the story overlaps and echoes in the present, where the forces of the women's movement, the freedom movement that was arising after the end of slavery, and the labor movement all were sort of moving at the same time as the industrial revolution is about to come. And the question in this musical is, who's going to get what from the industrial revolution? Jay Gould or the rest of the people? And we're answering, asking those same questions today. Well, and it's so like me to jump to a gun and jump ahead and back. So I'm glad you offered that correction. The moment was now. But okay, so Jay Gould, who was he? So Jay Gould was one of the, the crew of what they call the robber barons. And there's, you know, Rockefeller and Melvin and all these famous ultra-wealthy people that brought in the Industrial Revolution. One of the things he's particularly famous for, he was a railroad guy, among other things. And he made the statement once during a railroad strike in the 1870s, I can hire one half of the working class to shoot the other half down. So he's hiding in the background and comes up occasionally in the middle of the play to sort of scorn all the popular forces. Sort of the, one of the Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos of today. That's right. That's right. That's right. You got everybody in this musical from what little I can follow on it. You had Jay Gould, but you also had Susan B. Anthony. You had Frederick Douglass. You had some labor people. Give us the whole sort of scenario here. How many, how many historical characters did you bring in? Well, it, it's actually a relatively small group of widely representative. Jay Gould, of course, represents the robber barons. Frederick Douglass, who's the most famous in this play, it imagines G Frederick Douglass calling a meeting of all these people who he knew and who meet and sing in their own words to try and deal with the present moment. So that includes uh, Susan B. Anthony, who at that point in 1869 was organizing women's workers. And in addition to being an abolitionist and a suffragette, and so she is at this convention, the National Labor Union Convention, which really took place in 69. She was really there. And the leader was a guy named William B. Silvis. They had 200,000 members at that time. And Silvis invites a black union shipyard organizer named Isaac Myers from Baltimore to speak to the assembled white male delegates about why 
they need African-American workers included in their movement or they're going to lose. And that speech appears on the New York Times front page the next day. The last character is a woman named Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, who was an abolitionist. She was an early black feminist and author, and she taught in the South, and she was a Baltimore girl. So the whole place takes place in Baltimore, where all these characters have a relationship, and it's between the North and the South. So it's reconstruction from a national viewpoint. And they sing. They sing, yeah. I, I sort of, it, a lot of it, mostly their own words, but of course they didn't rhyme when they talked to each other, and they certainly didn't sing. But I found that I can say something in a song that if I tried to say in a speech, people just really couldn't hear it. But if you can catch on a beat and a melody, you might be able to listen to something differently. And so it's a pretty radical play in a way, and it's not because I made it up. It's because what was really happening. But it's done in a way that the audience could really sort of get excited about and laugh and sing and, and then go, hmm, wow, that's interesting. And this debuted during the pandemic. How'd that work out? Well, the play played uh, in Baltimore in 1919 and 1920, the last day of the scheduled shows before we were going to go on the road was March 8th, 2020. And oh, wow. right after that, pandemic hit our whole road show was canceled the good news is that we filmed uh, a guy mike wickland and i did a great job of filming the show with multiple cameras and on multiple shows to get it right it's hard to film the play we now have a film which has been used by unions and community organizations all over the country and i'm sort of reissuing it this year for black history month and women's history month because it weaves those tales together well and what how did you come to so you wrote this whole thing yeah i did i did now what did you know about writing songs you know i, I wrote one thing I, to write dialogue that's hard <laughs> but, but writing you know music without you know, i mean how, how did you really make that happen gene you know, I, I grew up on musicals in my house, you know, and oh, okay. I started trying to do this stuff in the 70s, but I got a job driving the school bus during the desegregation busing because I wanted to have an income while I was trying to do theater stuff. I got involved in the union. We went on strike. I got arrested. I became the local president and now was in the labor movement for the next 40 years. That ended my, my theater career. And then after I retired, I just picked it up again. And I just sort of, I don't read music. I don't play an instrument. But what I did is I, I, I'm pretty good at making up rhymes. And I wrote these lyrics and sang them into my cell phone and hooked up with some musicians and said, well, here's as far as I got. Can you do something with this? And we worked together. And in the end, I brought in some talented people in the show. And it, it turned out to be really powerful. But now, and you did get, when I looked at the website, and we'll talk about the website later, it looked like 
you had a schedule for a lot of groups around the country, labor groups particularly. Did, did that happen before the pandemic, or did that get canceled? <clears throat> well, it, in Baltimore, we got we the, the a big part of what I wanted to do was not just do musical theater, but do it for people who don't go to theater, because in our country, a lot of theater is so expensive that people, the average bus driver or waitress or working person thinks it's, it's sort of like opera or somebody else. So I went to the union and convinced them to buy tickets. The teachers union, the state AFL-CIO bought out the house one night. And so we had an audience of returning citizens workers, community people, and, and, and theater goers. And that's sort of what made it exciting. Then we had a commitment with the play to take it on the road to the National Convention of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists and Boston and other places, and all that got <clears throat> shut down. But the movie's been used by teachers unions and all kinds of other groups as a way to teach about Reconstruction and talk about the past and the present. Sometimes I come on to the Q&A for that stuff. So that's what we got available right now. The cast is not up and running to do a performance. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, they may, they may come together again. But how did, how did you manage to link it to what was happening these days? Well, <clears throat> what was interesting is that, you know, I've always been interested in the period Reconstruction because we all learn about the Civil War. But then there was this window of about 10 years after the Civil War until like around 77, where the freeing of the enslaved workers in the, in, from the South was part of transforming everything was sort of up in the air. And that's when the women's suffrage movement sort of broke out and workers, including black workers, everybody sort of was sort of in motion and everything was sort of in question. And the more I looked at it, the more I'm thinking like, these are the same issues like, who the Isaac Myers, when he uh, uh, speaks in front of this convention of, of white male trade unionists, he raises the question is, who is the we? And in the play, the song is, does your we include me? And so the question of how to organize a diverse, multicultural, multinational working class that includes women against the huge power that we're facing now, the more I looked at what they were talking about, the more it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, these are inspiring people. We need that inspiration because we're facing these same challenges right now. Exactly, exactly. Gene, we're talking to Gene Bruskin about his musical that debuted a couple of years ago, but still out here in a movie called The Moment Was Now. But you're working on another musical, you told me as we started. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you know, during COVID, while these movies of, of the moment was now a show, and at some point I, I, I just got a sort of an idea and started writing again. <clears throat> and I have a new musical called The Return of John Brown. And it takes place in the present, and it imagines that John Brown suddenly crawls out of the ground, unexplainably, right where they hanged him. In, in the Virginia, West Virginia area. And, uh, and he gets rearrested because the local folks think he might stir up the Black Lives Matter crowd and they put him on trial. They threaten to hang him in the trial. It's a musical comedy in a way 
because it's such an absurd premise, but it it sort of he ends up building a movement of the people who were the white farmers that were trying to keep him in jail and the black farmers who were fighting against the pipeline that was going through their property. He ends up bringing those people into his cell and they help him escape from from prison as they win their pipeline fight. So it sort of twists into a modern story, but with John Brown singing sing songs like you can't hang the same man twice in the courthouse, you know. So it it tells a story, uses the the sort of main visibility of a great character in history, a white man who fought against racism to tell a present day story. Well, John Brown has been having sort of a moment here recently over the last couple of years, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he 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 has, and you know, I, remarkably, Wade. Although I found that he was one of the only people I learned about in history that sort of, besides Abe Lincoln, as a white man who who took these kind of positions, I'm finding repeatedly that people have never heard of Black John Brown, um, yeah. and so it's just really important that we know our history because the narrative of who we are in in America is part of what's used to develop all the bad policies, and we need to true, know, truly know what our history is to be able to really understand what we have to do to change things today. I, I forget who it was, Col- Colson Whitehead or whatever, the great American novelist did something about Brown a couple yeah, of years Yeah, yeah, um, right, 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 the, the good bird, the good Lord bird. Exactly, exactly. There's a series uh, the I think it's even on Netflix. You know, is is it a movie? I actually read the book. I didn't even know it was a movie. No, there's a, there's a, a, a six part series, Good ah. Lord Bird, and on I, I think it's Netflix, but I can't keep track of all these different streaming well, services. Um, it's I on lower, one of them, though. It's worth watching. I, I walk into a room and I lower the hip motion quite quite severely. So, um, <laughs> maybe Amazon may. Obviously, it was news to me it was a movie at all. We've been talking to to Gene Bruskin about his musical work, but I know Gene from back in the day when he first came to help on some drives. It turned out to be a little ill-fated, but we were organizing parking lot workers in New Orleans. But Gene, you had a great organizing success at Smithfield. Give us a a little taste of that. So Smithfield is... and probably still is the largest pork producer in the world. And they had the largest slaughterhouse in the world and still do in Tar Heel, North Carolina. That the union started, the UFCW started trying to organize when it opened in the early 90s. Went through a couple of attempts through the NLRB format and Smithfield just violated the law to the extent you could never imagine. Beating up the organizers and all that stuff. So I was called in around 2006 by UFCW to sort of build a campaign that would force Smithfield to come to the table and set a new set of rules. And so for a period of three years, we built a national movement in support of these workers under the slogan, Smithfield Pork was packaged with abuse. And we built an internal movement where people were shutting down departments and walking off the job and constantly disrupting production, fighting for health and safety, till Smithfield finally came and sat down with the workers and the unions 
when we set a new set of rules for an election and, and the workers were able to win. In the small world category, uh, my high school reunion, you know, was having her 50th anniversary or 55th anniversary or something. Uh -huh. I'm talking to this guy who was on the football team with me. His name was Michael Fowler. And I said, what are you doing now? Well, he's a lawyer and he's been one of counsel for Smithfield. <laughs> and I said, really, really. Uh, you know, I know a little bit about Smithfield. And, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, we always got along, but he walked away pretty quickly, Gene. Uh, if I remember correctly, Wade, you helped, I think it might have been in Shreveport or somewhere in Louisiana because we were doing a part of the campaign was chasing Paula Dean all over the country because she was a big promoter by a contract with Smithfield. And she was in Mississippi, I mean, in, in Louisiana somewhere, I think it was Shreveport, and we were going to have a rally down there to like call on her to support the workers and you helped to help me make some connections in there. Yeah, I'd forgotten all about. It. Yeah, know? yeah, it was great. She went crazy. She couldn't believe we showed up there. Well, and you know, she's kind of a piece of work for those people who don't remember her. She got in a in a bit of a controversy because she was pretty clear about the racism that came pouring out of her mouth, even though she yeah. was a TV and cooking star. Gene, we're talking to Gene Bruskin about his movies, his organizing, but I, I've, I've been seeing your name in you know, some of my daily papers, including the New York Times, as an advisor to some of these efforts to organize Amazon. Now, we talk about Reconstruction. We talk about Robert Barron's. Amazon is, is one of our class. I mean, Elon Musk is obviously taken on the you know front page side, but Jeff Bezos and his gang of Amazon has certainly been driving a similar thing here, but where do we stand on Amazon now? A year ago, we were so hopeful last year, the first victory, been hard times it looks like. Where, where are we at now? <clears throat> I feel like we're at the beginning of, of what will have to be, to be successful, a transformational organizing effort at Amazon. And uh, it, there's really never been quite this kind of, of a challenge the steel industry, for example, was pretty substantial in the 30s in the auto industry. But Amazon, we're talking arguably the biggest company in the world and moving in that direction. So it was like hundreds and hundreds of warehouses all over the country and so on. So the question of how do you win? How do you take on Amazon? How do you build a really powerful union organization? It's sort of in the process. And the first victory by the labor board in an election was Amazon Labor Union. And I've been in touch with them since really before they voted. And they're an independent group. They decided Chris Smalls and, and Derek and these other folks took it on without the support of the official labor movement because nobody thought they could win. But meanwhile, there are a lot of other efforts. There's a group called Amazonians United that is working in delivery centers that are the places where the product goes right before it gets shipped to your door in all over places in Philadelphia and New York and Atlanta. There's the postal workers are being are involved in this. There's worker centers in places like St. Louis and Santa Barbara where people are doing work walkouts. And these groups, including the Teamsters, are actually we're trying to bring folks together. 
from all these different initiatives to be talking to each other because no one group, no one union, even the big one like the Teamsters is going to be able to bring Amazon down. And we're linking this kind of organizing here to what's happening in Europe where they're actually having, in some cases, national Amazon strikes in places like Germany and Italy. And so the sort of beginnings of what I think is a long-term project are happening and there's a lot of experiments going on. The good news is that a lot of different forces are talking to each other about how to win. Well, it's uh, it's a long road. I mean, part of the problem in the way that the media is reporting these sort of organizing efforts is for them, it's all like, you know, an NFL game. Who won today? Who lost today? Yeah, right. right. And right. the Amazon Labor Union won one, but now they've lost two since then. How much of this strategy is dedicated to this sort of NLRB work as opposed to trying to forge an adaptable model for this kind of industry in this kind of time? <clears throat> well, there's not an agreement yet, you know, that. The ALU, the Amazon Labor Union, has felt like, let's move a lot of these elections. There are other people, like there's a group called Amazonians United, who is developing uh, a regional strategy in Philadelphia, where they're trying to like build support and shop floor kind of power in delivery centers all over the Philadelphia area. So that potentially, if you have people in all these places and they all shut down, then nothing can get to the door of people in a multi-million person region. It's that kind of strategy, I think, in big markets like New York and, and, and Los Angeles and so on, combined with sort of a public pressure kind of strategy where you're talking about regulators and you're talking about health and safety legislation, political pressure building sort of inside and broad outside support that's really going to be necessary. Amazon, in some ways, has to be in some kind of a crisis and maybe a crisis in a big market like New York, but certainly not every day just sort of calling on them to bargain. That's just not going to be not going to work. You know, I've had some conversations with some of the activists in Amazonians United and uh -huh. over the last year and you know, sharing some of our experience in trying to organize Walmart right. and right. argue for exactly that kind of regional focus because I think you got to focus on a company like this. So it's encouraging to hear that they're trying to strategy because they had, you know, they had some firefights in a number of places for a while. Um, but it is going to take a lot. Now, the Teamsters got a lot of publicity announcing they were going to do something about Amazon, but I haven't, I, you know, what I read by their, you know, I, w I would have said their newly elected president, but he's been in now a year or more, sort of arguing, well, we'll get a better contract for UPS and that'll drive people coming in. But that's that's not our experience as organizers, is it, Gene? No, I, I don't see that. <clears throat> I don't see that happening quite that way. I know that the Teamsters are starting to put some staff on the Amazon stuff. They're starting to try to... <clears throat> build some kind of support in, in in a bunch of places. I don't too know too much because they've been very quiet about exactly what they're doing. <clears throat> but what, what I'm encouraging is bringing together the, the UPS and the Amazon fight and asking the question, 
how can this UPS fight actually encourage the Amazon organizing? And how can all this Amazon organizing and support that's happening get involved with and support this UPS fight? Because, uh, you know, these two industries are completely linked, as are the postal workers and, you know, all them, these sort of giant delivery sectors. Absolutely. So I, I don't think it's just going to be, you know, we'll win a good contract and, and then Amazon will workers will just line up. It won't it won't work that way. No, the better mousetrap theory doesn't seem to work in labor organizing. Right. You know, globally, there's the Make Amazon Pay campaign, and India is one of the places. That they, mm. Oh, yeah, they participated, right? Yeah, they've contracted with Acorn to sort of give them a hand there in Delhi. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's three organizers in a city of 20 million like Delhi. Uh, small, you know, that's, that's throwing a, you know, kick on an elephant's ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. I know. You know, so, I mean, I'm glad to see that they actually, instead of just doing PR, are starting about, uh, are supporting some organizing. But, you know, our, our French affiliate uh, uh, was hearing a lot from Amazon workers and tried to get them to to take a look at some of the, the strikes in uh, French unions and the warehouses. And I just, you know, never could get much traction. It's just hard to tell. Everybody likes that. I mean, it sort of reminds me too much of Walmart, you know, 17 yeah, years right. ago when we were doing it. Everybody likes to talk about Amazon and let's go get them. But, you know, this is some, This is not a sprint. This is something that, you know, you better put your money on the table. It's going to be a lot of organized, so there's got to be a different strategy. This is going to be a slog. I think you're exactly right on that. But I'm glad that you're still in touch with them all, and we'll just keep our fingers crossed. Back to what you're really doing on a daily basis, though, Jim. <laughs> how, do, how do people get a hold of this movie, and how can they find out when this next play about John Brown is going to be, well, play, musical, is right. ready, and, you know, how can they get the, <clears throat> what, do, what do they do there? So that musicals, you gotta, you, don't you have to get the CD or something? <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing about musicals. Help us yeah, here. Help us here. How can people get a hold of it? So, the, well, the two things, the the musical, the film itself, which is about an hour and 10, an hour and 15 minutes, is available right now for groups to show, you know, as virtually or they show it in person. In some cases, I've been able to, I get invited on for a post discussion. And people who want to show it to their organization really can just contact me directly. And it's my name, Gene Bruskin at gmail.com. G-E-N-E-E-R-U-S-K-I-N. And then I sort of make the arrangements with them. The return of John Brown is scheduled to be shown in Appalachia, in northern Appalachia, in a town called Indiana, Pennsylvania, in September, in the beginning of September, linked up to the Northern Appalachia Folk Festival by a group called the Indiana Players. And I'm hoping that from there, maybe we'll even be able to take it on the road and bring it to really the John Brown house where the Kennedy farm, where Brown staged the farm, the, the raid from right near Corpus Ferry. They, they're interested in putting the performance on right there. So we'll see how that goes. Sounds exciting. Look, we have in our local union, we have a leadership conference. We're still trying to pick the date sometime late June or whatever, but I'll, I'll reach out for you because 
I think people would get a kick out of the musical. The moment was now that we've been talking about for the last half hour. Yes. Bruskin, yeah. labor organizer, vivant around Baltimore. And, you know, what do they call these? Liberto? What do they call the people who write musicals? I guess that's opera. But anyway, he's the well, there's a brand new playwright, but more but the music. Sometimes the playwright doesn't write the music. But in this case, I'm sort of doing both, you know. You know, we've done, Jane, we've done some of your poetry or whatever and social policy. You may have to figure out a way to get us an excerpt on uh, John Brown or, or the moment was now that we've done it in social policy. We'll definitely, we'll definitely do that there. You know, if you got 30 seconds, I'll sing you a verse from what happens when they put him in court. Well, I have come to the conclusion that I must bring together the people who can unite our great movements before it is too late. This is the last great struggle for human liberty. I want it all. I want it all. You'll never be free until your we includes me. Women hold up half sky. Women hold up Posterity. Equal pay for equal work. But when women get her rights, ten nine, there's gonna be peace on earth. Oh yes, and goodwill to men. The line of demarcation is between the robbers and the robbed. I am Jago. Chief among the rulers of the row. Let's take this opportunity to build real workers' unity. If you don't trust us, then the powerful will bust us all. <laughs> no, we won't wait no more. The 15th Amendment has a Keep winning, and so the wheel keeps spinning. Let America 